Praise the Lord. I mean, those, that is so true tonight. If it wasn't for grace. Let's uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 12. Let's look at a little bit about this grace, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, I don't want to shock you just coming out of the gate, but I want you to <clears throat> look at this with me and so also, those four words, so also is Christ. You notice Paul doesn't say, so also is Jesus, but Christ. In this verse, he's talking about the body, of course. And he's talking about the body being with many members and also talking about the mystical body. And as strange as it may seem to you, Paul is actually calling the true church Christ. You see why that stumbles people is because they're identifying the humanity of the Lord Jesus as being Christ. But Christos actually means the anointed one. So when he went up into heaven, then his church became his anointed one. So he says, he says, being many are one body, so also is Christ, which is the mystical Christ, the church. He is the savior of his own body. Look with me in Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. The savior of the body. Now, he actually accounts himself as not being complete without his church. I think you're doing good. Think, think with me. He accounts himself as not being complete without his church. Ephesians 1.23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the fullness of him, the way he looks at it, is the church. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Because you see, she is the continued revelation of his divine life in human form. The continued revelation of his divine life in human form. Look at this quote with me before we pray. So you see, if you were in the foreknowledge of God, then you are becoming a part of God. 
And the only way you can be a son of God or a daughter of God, you had to be a part of God. And God isn't complete without you. Praise God. Has to be. That's right. Because there's only one, only one resource of eternal life, and that is God. And in Him alone has eternal life. Now, you were a part of Him in so much that you're an attribute or in His thinking at the beginning. And that, because He thought of you in the beginning, it gives you that little, that little tug towards him, that's what has to be quickened. Don't you see what God did? God quickened your tug. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. It gives that little tug towards him. That's what has to be quickened. And we'd like to be remembered tonight as we pray. Me too. Lord Jesus, these are astounding words. To think that there are people standing in this place tonight, not only just here, but different parts of the world that are in Christ Jesus. And they are considered to be part of the mystical body of Christ himself. Dear Father, we struggle to try to look beyond our humanity and our failures and our weaknesses. They're with us every day. And we know that we need to be quickened to look beyond our humanity, to be able to see that divine part that lives in us. Would you speak to us tonight, Father? Remove the veil from our eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of our understanding that we can have a greater picture of grace. Won't you grant it, Father? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The teaching of Paul on this great mystery of God coming into the church is one of the greatest mysteries of the New Testament. It was kept hid down through the ages to the, even the sages and the prophets of what God allowed them to see. Occasionally they would catch a little array of light, a little glimpse and the shadows and the types. You have to keep in mind that when God had his word written, Part of it was going to be written out in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, so on and so on. But much of it was written in the lives of people. And God hid the mystery of much of what he was going to do in the lives of people. And they themselves didn't even know that they were doing that. And God didn't make an announcement. Uh, This is an announcement to the world. 
Joseph is going down the land of Egypt. He'll be a type of me. He's going to marry a Gentile, which will be a type of my bride. God never said none of that. Must have seemed very unusual and very strange. Neither did God say that in the life of Esther, again, would be a written type of his bride. Because it would seem as if, though, the book of Esther wasn't really even that great of a religious book to some of them. The book of Ruth, the same way. So God chose to write part of what he was going to do in the lives of individuals. But if he chose to write it that way, then it convinces me that he's going to reveal that part in the same way. So it would be written in the Bible, of course. It would be written in the message so people would be able to pick it up and read it. But those who look for the manifested word to be only in book form or tape form or Bible form will miss so much of what God is doing because he writes it there so we can see it but many times he will reveal it in flesh form. The Word, oh, how we love the Word, don't we? We love our Bibles. We love the Word of God. We love to read it, but many people do that, and they know it by memory, and they have studied it for years and years and still overlook many of the great things. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, for by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Now remember this word, we've looked at it for years and years. It is baptismal. And this is where John got the name John the Baptist. And it was not that his mom and daddy called him that, but actually the people did. And it was because John was known by the actions that he was doing, so he was taking people down in water and baptizing them, so they called him John the Baptist. But this word also, the further meaning of it is that, we looked at it years ago, I'm sure you've remembered, that it goes from changing a cucumber to a pickle. So it is baptized into a solution, but it doesn't go down for a dip and then come back up. But it's actually baptized into this solution and there it stays until it is changed, then it is pulled from the vat, a changed being. So a cucumber is stuck into this solution. Left there long enough, it transforms from a cucumber to a pickle. And it will never go back to being a cucumber again. Now, many people get baptized, they get dipped into water, and some of them actually get dipped into the Spirit of God, but what they do is they go down and they get a little dip, and then they come back up, and they go ahead and live the way they did before. Now, that's the way Elvis was, because Elvis had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, in other words, Elvis got a dip into the Spirit of God and come back up, and took his shouting that he learned at the Assemblies of God onto the rock and roll concert stage. That's where he learned to shake his legs. So he did not stay there in the vat and get sealed by the presence of God and changed from a cucumber 
to a pickle. I don't know about you, I don't want to remain a cuke. I want to be changed, don't you? I want to stay on that vat until I am so thoroughly changed that whenever I come out, I will be different than what I was when I went in. Notice how Paul likens this, for he says, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. How unusual this must have been for the Jews to try to comprehend that the Greeks, which Corinth was a a pretty large Greek church, that the Jews and the Gentiles were now the same. No difference. They must have really, really struggled. So Paul is trying to get them to understand once the Gentiles have been dipped into the vat of the mercy of God, they come out of that vat just as righteous before God as Abraham did and more so because the vat took them back before they ever sinned in the first place. And then Paul brings it from just baptism Notice how he likens this. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. So what we're doing now is we're actually drinking the baptism solution. So you're not just dipped down into it and then dry yourself off and then you're just like you were before, but actually you're drinking the solution which is keeping you constantly changed by the grace of God. So you see, we're still being changed. How many knows we're still a work in progress? So when we reach the end and we say, well, I can go no farther. Well, I feel sorry for you because the only people I know that can go no farther are those that's already passed from this life into the next life. But those of us that are still alive, we're still drinking of the same solution that changed us when we got the new birth. And then Paul likens that, that we're drinking, he says, in to this one spirit. So now Paul is trying to break down and show not only to the Jews, but of course to the Gentiles, knowing that this would be read for many, many years thereafter. One of the most important teachings that would ever be revealed to the human race of what God actually did. So it is more than just God saving a people from their sins, but God is going to immerse them into this mystical body called the body of Christ. And God is gonna change them from John and Jane Doe to where they will no longer just be a sinner out there that's trying to be a better person and live a better life. And they're, they're reading all types of self-help books and they're getting all types of you know, web things and they're learning and learning and they're trying to discipline their self. But God is gonna take them and dip them into Christ and they will come up a new person. Now, whenever this happens to them, he is going to totally transform them from John Doe and Jane Doe and whoever they are 
until they will actually become one of the anointed ones for the cause of Christ in the last day. So they will no longer be a person then that is trying to do good deeds and trying their best to be a righteous person. But they will lose their old identity and actually become the anointed one. You see, all the elect members that are baptized into this mystical body of Christ. Now remember the body of the Lord Jesus is there on the throne of God. That was the flesh which was glorified. But the Christos, remember Jesus' body never come back into your soul when you receive the Holy Ghost. The body of Jesus is not divided in the sense that I've got a little part of his flesh, you've got a little part of his flesh, people in India have a part. Look, he was only a small man. There was not enough physical, corporal flesh for us to take of that. When he gave the symbolism, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. He wasn't talking about his corporal body. He was talking about partaking of the sharing of the life and the opening of the mystery. Don't you see what happened on the cross? It was the opening of the book of the revealed word, the Son of God hanging on the cross. God opened up the mystery of the book of redemption of the Lord Jesus and the bride came out. So there was not enough humanity, not enough flesh to tear off a piece and give to every one of us. That we do in symbolism by taking communion. But the Christos, the Christ, the anointing, Every child of God around the earth tonight that has the baptism of the Holy Ghost has a portion of the Spirit of God. If there were 95 billion Christians on the face of the earth tonight and 95 billion people have the Holy Ghost, it would not deplete the Spirit of Christ at all. Now that could not be said about the human body of the Lord Jesus. Remember when the human body raised from the dead, he could only be at one spot at one time by his corporal presence, you follow me? By his corporal presence, yet by his omnipotence and his omnipresence, by that foreknowledge, he knew all things at one time. But by the corporal body, he could only be there with the disciples. He would walk through a wall and then he would disappear. Well, they did no longer see him. Where was he? Well, he was somewhere else. And then he would go somewhere else. And then he appeared again in a few days and there he was again. So when that corporal body ascended, then the angel said, this same Jesus that you see going away will come again in like manner. So what are we looking for at the coming of the Lord Jesus? That corporal body. Is that right? But what's here with us tonight? Christ, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. But the body, the human temple, the tabernacle that God glorified, you see God said, this is my part of the earth. And from this part, I will redeem the rest of it. So this was God's own part of the earth that become human and tangible. Then God hid inside of that body, used that body as a veil, tore the veil open and released Zoe, God's eternal life. Then the Holy Ghost comes back on the day of Pentecost and starts baptizing individuals into the new form of Christ, not the new form of Jesus. 
but the new form of Christ, which is the mystical body. Now, the mystical body is in a dimensional world to where our eyes cannot just see it. We'll say it this way, that every person here tonight that has the Holy Ghost, every person in Indiana, Ohio, Guatemala, Honduras, India, New Zealand, Africa, all over the world, every one of them are baptized into one body. Yet many of them we will never know. We will never see them, we'll never shake our hand. But they're baptized into a spiritual realm and it's only one body. And yet all of us identified with the atonement. But I want you to notice now, that body is not actually identified as word of life or even like tabernacle or you know whatever that the church name would be. It's not identified as word of light, evening light. It's not identified as Branham Tabernacle, some other tabernacle. It's identified actually as Christ. You see, this is why he's so selective of who he will baptize into the juice. Because if they stay in there long enough, they are his and they are sealed. So if they've got lying and rottenness and adultery and filth and whatever more, and he leaves them in that vat, that is sealed in them and will be in them in heaven. So it's not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, not even everybody that can do wonders and miracles because they can have a dip into the Spirit of God and have even gifts and still not have their soul immersed and changed to a pickle. So he's very selective and very precautious of whom he will give this seal to. But all of those that get it are baptized into Christ himself. So when them believers come before God in prayer, God is not so much hearing their voice, but the voice of the Lamb of God. Because your prayers are coming up through the blood of the Lord Jesus. So notice in the elect of God being members in that mystical body called Christ are actually identified as Christ's body and therefore they are partaking of perfect righteousness. So it's not that God takes an element of righteousness out of the Lord Jesus and gives you a little bit and you a little bit and you a little bit, me a little bit and you brothers and you sisters and those of you that are streaming the service, we got that backwards. It's not that he's taking a little bit out and giving you a little part. What he's doing is taking you out of the world and actually immersing you into the body of righteousness itself, which is Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we could be sinless enough to be able to go into a rapture in him. We are identified as blameless. Because if it's just a deposit put in us, then if we had a bad week or a couple of bad weeks and we had one mistake after another, another mess up after another, before long our righteousness is gonna be pretty much watered down, don't you think? Unless he takes your soul and immerses your soul into this great fountain of ocean of righteousness itself, then it's not your little part pulled out from the mystical body. You are actually immersed into the body and when God looks at the body, he sees what? Christ Jesus. And God sees the Son of God himself. So, 
God actually saves people by transferring them into Christ. This is the kind of eternal security I believe in. <laughs> Woo! So when God saves them, sanctifies them, fills them with the Holy Ghost, seals them into the presence of God, he releases them from their former identity and transfers them actually into the mystical body of Christ and from there, there is no escape. And they don't want to anyway. And he identifies them as Christ and making them, in fact, to be Christ. Now don't get in your mind Jesus now. Remember, that's the human body. What is Christ? The anointed one. So it makes them of a heavenly nature. And this great heavenly plan, man must become truly righteous before God. So how in the world can we be standing here on the day of the rapture? And we've got sinners all around us, we've got our humanity, we've got failures, our mistakes. Tell me what can God ever do that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, take us out of a place as filthy and rotten as this world is and immediately transfer us into a new body and transfer us into heaven. In one minute you're walking down South Rome and there's drunks over here and there's homeless over there and there's liars over there and everywhere around you, sin everywhere and then the next step you take, you're right there in the presence of the Lord Jesus. How in the world could, how in the world could he ever get us all mistake free for five seconds around the whole world at one time in order to say, okay, I've got everybody perfect. Angels, hold your breath, hold your breath. One of us would mess up the whole program. Sure, there's a God in heaven. And if it wasn't you all, it'd be me. But I imagine some of you would be just as bad as I would. Don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of holy angels now. But what if God could immerse and dip us into the vat of Christ himself? then in that he does not look at our mistake. But Brother Branham, I have so many things about me that I know not right, but Sister Georgie, that's why he died. So your mistakes would not be lauded to you. He sees your heart and he knows. Don't you understand? If you're sinking, you're ever gonna get to a spot that your human flesh, you're gonna perfect it. Forget it. The word of God, no, the message of the hour does not teach human perfection of your flesh. It is your enemy. It is an animal. It is against the word of God. Come on, somebody. You'll never get good enough. You'll never stay clean enough. You'll never be holy enough on the outside. But the key is for God to transfer your being and your identity 
divinity out of mortality and place you in the mystical body and hide you so deep in Christ the devil can't even find you. So by this plan, God changes you from being John Doe to becoming Christ. Everybody still alive? You okay? Okay, it's all right. Watch this. Remember, he became you that you might become he became a sinner separated from the father when he screamed my God why hast thou forsaken me he was separated from God in his death that you in your death might have God's presence. Isn't that awesome? What a loving Savior. What grace has been given to us. So he died alone out of the presence of God and become a curse, a serpent hanging on the pole. Out of the presence of God, angels turning their backs on him. The Spirit of God could not even behold him because he could not look upon sin. And he become a sinner. The prophet said the worst sinner that ever lived on the earth. And remember, it is not because of what he did. How was this? How is this even possible? He never said one thing wrong. He never did one thing wrong. But he became me. That was all he had to do to become a bad sinner was to become me. Then you add me and you and you and you and you and everybody else on top of that. So it wasn't what he did. It's what he become. Oh, I hope and pray that God will drop that revelation inside of your heart tonight. Don't you understand? Then he did that, hallelujah, because he loved us. It was not what he did, it's what he became. When are you and I ever gonna understand? It's not what we do, it's what we become. What do we become? The very righteousness of God in him. Oh, okay, Brother Donnie, so I can do whatever I want to. Yep, I drink all I want to drink. I lie all I want to lie. I commit adultery all I want to commit adultery. I just don't want to do those things. Why? Because I have been changed by the power of God. And if Jesus is inside of me and inside of you, Jesus don't want to commit adultery. Jesus don't want to lie. Jesus don't want to cheat. Jesus believes his word. Listen to these next words. He 
become a child of sin. Your sins, not his own. Yours, that you might become a child of obedience. Isn't that awesome? There's no way we could be children of obedience. We were born after the fall in the Garden of Eden. It comes by nature for us to disobey God. It's just in our flesh. We cannot help that, and he knew that. So he must come to change us. The law could never do it. The prophets could never do it. The reading of the law and memorizing them could never do it. There must be a nature change. Every lamb in the Old Testament, they could be able to lay their hands on the lamb and the sinner would maybe go up to the altar with the lamb and put his hands over on it, knowing that it signified a transferring of his sins upon the lamb. And they'd take the knife and cut the lamb's throat. The blood would spew out and the worshiper would have the blood on his hand and he would walk out of there maybe the same day do the very same sin he'd got forgiveness of that morning. And God knew them lambs could never replace the fallen nature of man. So what did God do? God bottled up this great, hallelujah, this great power of forgiveness and mercy and righteousness and God put it in this vat called Jesus Christ. And God opened it up, hallelujah, and said, then if you'll come to me and be baptized into me and drink, Drink, I will transform you from a church member into a Holy Ghost-filled son or daughter of God. Just drink. When do I stop, Brother Donnie? Don't never stop. Keep on drinking. Keep on drinking of the good Holy Ghost. How many knows we need a good drink? Oh, then what does God do? Then God places us into the mystical body and we are ready for our position in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of folks in the message are waiting for the adoption time to come. And some of the things they're looking for is actually going to be in the millennium. Forget controlling the clouds, forget controlling the storms, forget all that stuff. I'm more focused on controlling this 16 elements right here than I am the clouds. I don't like riding in clouds when I'm flying, of course. I don't like storms, any of that sort of thing. But really, it ain't them things that get me in that much trouble. It's this old boy right here. I figure if I could get to a spot I can control this right here, I'll be in pretty good shape. And I believe by the grace of God, that's what he wants to happen in our lives by the word. Now, you see, once we're baptized in into the mystical body, then God also places us by his grace in a, a local assembly to where we can find also our position in that assembly. Oh, aren't you glad that it doesn't just start in the supernatural realm? Now, that's where a lot of folks say, well, I'm in Christ, and now I'm in there. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to put forth no effort. I don't really have to go to church or anything like that. And where in the words you get that at? You don't find that in the Bible, and you sure don't find it in the message of the hour. But God places us in the body that we can minister to others and that we also can be ministered to. Look, friend, I don't care how great the preacher is. Do you understand preachers need to be ministered to as well? You understand that sometimes when Brother Branham would be at home in his own tabernacle, that he would let Brother Neville preach? 
He actually even let Brother Lee Vale preach and he would let other brothers preach and Brother Branham, I mean, time after time when Brother Neville would preach, he said, I certainly enjoyed that this morning. I felt led to have Brother Neville to preach. I got so many sermons out of what our brother said. Oh my goodness, you mean Brother Branham needed to hear from another preacher? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of evangelists in their message and they say they have a home church, but they're never home at their church. They're constantly gone here, gone there. They never hear nobody else preach but themselves. Well, I'll tell you one thing, they must like hearing themselves a whole lot more than I enjoy hearing me. I need to be preached to myself. I ain't talking about just from tapes. I need to hear other men of God preach to me. Come on, somebody. Why? Because I also need to receive as well as give. You give and give and give, but you've also got to have an intake from the presence of God. And that's the thing I'm afraid that so many miss. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't feel apart. Well, why don't you feel apart? Why don't you feel apart? Find an assembly somewhere where God positionally places you under a ministry of the hour that's really preaching the word that'll give you a body change and find what God wants you to do. But Brother Donnie, I can't sing. I ain't never spoken in tongues. I don't ever prophesy. Well, maybe God wants you to pray for them that do sing. And God wants you to pray for them that do prophesy. And God wants you to pray for them preachers that's out on the field. Everybody has something they can do do to minister to the body. And everybody said, watch now in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Now can you imagine here tonight if I was a six foot nose? No fingers, no eyes, no toes, no legs, just one gigantic nose. Lord, have mercy, the nostrils would be that big around, wouldn't he? Woo! My nose is big and ugly enough the way it is. I can't imagine being a six-foot nose. But that's the way some folks have it. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't need this. I don't need that. How you doing, brother nose? So you're just a five-foot, portly little, uh, little nose, huh? Or, or you're, a, you're a big eyeball? Or you're, you're just one, you're one finger, you're six foot and one finger, and, and you know, I, I really don't need anybody. I'm not sure where you get that concept because that's not from the Bible. Paul never said that it's just one member only, but it's a whole mystical body but has all types of different members that are every one essential to the other. For the body is not one member, but many. So the different parts are needed in the body for it to be a body to be able to exist. So no believer should ever look at themselves and the gift that God gave them as being inferior to another. Remember our gifts, our abilities, and what God has given to us, they're not bought by us. They're not even asked for, okay, God, I'd like to have this. I want that. I want to make a multiple choice. I go down through and I'll check all the boxes of the things I want. That's not the way it happens. God gives them to us so whenever we say, well, I'm useless. I'm of no value. Do you know what you're doing? You are saying God don't know what he was doing when he placed you in the body. So does God make mistakes? Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that God makes mistakes? Well, why should we accuse him and say, well, you know, I'm just not important. Ain't hardly even nobody knows me by name and I, I don't ever sing. And I don't ever get up before everybody. I, I don't know. I, I guess I just ain't nobody. Don't never say that. 
If God placed you as part of us and God placed you as part of this end time message, it was him that placed you, not yourself. So your gift, your position is not inferior. Hallelujah. To another and therefore we should not even be jealous if people would look at it in the right way, it would eliminate jealousy. There'd be no need for jealousy. Why are people jealous? They're jealous of other singers or other musicians or other preachers. But if they could just be satisfied that God made them to be a little pinky. Oh, don't you love that little feller? Oh man, ain't he a good little thing to have? Now can you imagine if your thumb was out there, if you had two thumbs, wouldn't that really be weird? Wouldn't it be really strange if your longest finger was right there? Wouldn't it be really weird if your toe was up here? And your, this finger right here was down when your foot goes, you talking about some of y'all crippling to come to church. Now what's the matter, Brother Daddy? What, what in the world's going on? It's that little finger on my foot. You say, your little finger on your foot. Well, that's the way some people try to do spiritually. They want to manipulate the body of God. Let's just leave it the way God made it. It'll work just fine. Your shoes will fit fine. You imagine you go to put on a pair of gloves and you got five big toes on one hand. You go into a glove store, you go to Mahoney's, you go to Target's, you go to Walmart. I'm looking for a special pair of gloves. Okay, so what do you need? I need a pair of gloves that has five big toes on one hand. And then I need another glove on the other side that has five noses on one hand because I rearranged myself. So I did not like my toes being down there hidden. understand my toes are hidden almost all the time. I don't go barefooted. Nope. I don't wear sandals. I don't own a pair of them things. I tell Carol it's a good thing I didn't live in the days of Jesus because I'd have never got around nowhere having to wear sandals. This cowboy don't wear sandals. So you imagine taking them toes and say, you know what, I think my toes are so pretty. I'm gonna go to the doctor and I'm gonna say, sir, I want you to rearrange me. I want want you to transfer these fingers down here to my foot. And I'm getting tired of these here toes. You see these toes right here? I'm sick and tired of going to church. Ain't nobody ever sees my toes except the brother that washes my feet every now and then when we have foot washing. It It ain't right. It just ain't right. People don't even know if I've got one toe, two toe, three toe, five toe. They don't even know. My toes are never even seen. I'm sick and tired of my gallbladder being hit in my body. I'm going to have my ear tuck off and my gallbladder stuck on the side of my head. Well, I do hope if you do that you sit in the back. Because even the preacher's going to have a hard time keeping from staring at you with that bouncy thing hanging on the side of your head. Makes a lot of sense. Well, you laugh at it naturally but we do it spiritually. God don't haphazardly pour out his gifts. You see, if we would seek to please God half as much as we would want to please ourselves, I guarantee you we'd be a whole lot better off, wouldn't we? Now see, I knew if y'all knew that was going into this part when that other good deep part was up there, I knew y'all would really be rejoicing. You'd really be pulling if you knew what was following. I knew the Lord was just pulling you all in so he could pull you in really good and kiss you on the forehead and then smack you. He does that sometimes, don't he? Oh my. Notice 1 Corinthians 12, 19. 
If they were all one member, where were the body? Now remember this setting is the Corinthian church. And the Christians at Corinth had received an abundance of spiritual gifts. But they were lacking in spiritual graces. Gifts and graces are not the same thing. The kind of Christian character that the Holy Ghost wanted them to have. Now, boy, you're talking about gifted. These folks were gifted. Oh, yeah. But the Spirit of God kept wanting for them to come on up a little higher in their character. And I imagine some of them, you know, when they got the letter there from Paul in Corinth about speaking in tongues and maybe prophesying all that. No, don't you imagine as rebellious as them Corinthians were. They were, some of them said, I'll tell you one thing, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that old church order stuff. I think maybe our church in Corinth is kind of sovereign on its own. I believe Paul's a prophet, all right, but I don't think we have to do all that sort of stuff. Why, who in the world ever heard of limiting, speaking in tongues and all that sort of thing, but two, no more than three in one service? Who ever heard of such a thing? Why in the world would you limit the Spirit of God? What do you think, church? What do you think, Corinthian believers? Don't you think that we're a sovereign body? And we will pick out of this letter, even though it's got our name wrote on it, but we will pick out what we think Paul, when he was under the anointing, we'll go through them verses and we'll pick out what he was under the anointing and then the other verses, we'll just say, well, we're, we're sovereign in our church and uh, we, we, we just don't think we need it. We're not gonna operate here in our church that way. You see, the folks in the message who do the message that way, they would have done the same thing in the days of Paul. Because the prophet of God said, whenever he did all of that, he said that's exactly the way they did it in the scripture and that's exactly the way Paul did it. Come on now. Well, that's what he said. Now, they had this mind. They were so gifted. I honestly can't say that I understand how gifts and that sort of thing work in that God will let the gifts be poured out upon a people whose character doesn't quite match it. You know, in my thinking, I would do something totally different. I'd wait till everybody's perfect, which means nobody'd ever have any. Right? But notice what he said there in verse 20, but now are they many members yet one body? So you see, when the members can recognize that, they themselves actually promote, pray for, and desire a unity, not only in the mystical body, but a unity in the local assembly. And will it be a struggle to have? Yep, and not only that, a greater struggle to keep. Because they realize their dependence on the other people they go to church with. You see, those who don't think they need that, they miss this from the scripture and from the message. So it's like they gained this independence and they're, you know, they're totally separated from the rest of the body. They don't need nobody. They don't need to go to church. They don't need to sing. Well, I, I, I just take my gift to singing and I sing to me and the Lord in the shower. Well, that's good. 
I mean, does the shower clap its hands and everything and just rejoice when you're singing there to it? And Really? So who are you blessing besides you? Who are you benefiting? Who are you ministering to besides yourself? Well, go ahead and say it. Nobody. So you're going to answer to God for an unused gift because you refuse to get into a church somewhere and benefit the body. Somebody said. But those who realize the dependence, the dependence that they need one another, they look at it totally different. They don't look at going to church and trying to find, you know, oh, I'll tell you one thing, our church has got so many people and it's got flaws. Of course they do. That's why you're so welcome here, honey. (laughs) Come on now, don't sit there and look at me like a little bunch of angels. I go to Q's and you'll be in one of them kind that rides their motorcycles. But real, true, mystical members of the body promote the dependence of one another. Listen to me, church. There is no church that is complete on its own without even having other fellowship with other churches and other ministers. You become isolated. You become so self-centered. Everything becomes about you. And you watch a preacher that pulls people off just to himself. You mark my word and remember it. He's leaving God's word. God never does such a thing. What would happen to an organ in your body if it did that? Now, most of you, of course, are aware of autoimmune diseases, are you not? And there's over a hundred of them that they have identified by name and symptoms and so on. And of course, most of them will attack the body itself. So they begin from within. Something, something triggers something within the body. And the body will go to attacking itself. And it goes to releasing these soldiers. And they somehow they miscommunicate a message inside the body. And the body begins to see something inside the body. And it begins to say, that's an enemy. That's an enemy. And the body will go to attacking itself. That ain't just so in the natural body. It's happened for 2,000 years in God's spiritual body as well. So that members of the body will go to attacking the body itself. And then the body will turn against itself. Sometimes it's a rash. Sometimes it's, it's the organ. It can be so many different things and they've got to find the medication. They've got to find something that'll reprogram that attack because you have quite a defense system built inside of you and there ain't nobody can attack you like a message preacher. Believe me, I know. I've been attacked for years. I actually think that's part of my call. I think God has to have preachers that can be hated, run down, lied on, and being able to forgive. Grant it, Lord, if that's what you want me for, I'm here reporting for duty. Some of you saying, well, God only wants people to walk on water, raise the dead, and heal the sick. Well, maybe that's your call. There's other people that's going to display the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus the way some miracle workers have no clue. 
Some great shouters that can shout their shoe heels off. That's the way the Corinthian folks, folks were. My, they were so gifted, but they had such problems with divisions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of this, I'm of that. Oh my. Well, I'll tell you one thing, amen. It's about like hen's teeth tonight, ain't there? Brother Fred, would you please say, man, I'll give you a nickel after church if you will. So, you see, diversity in the body is evidence displayed of the wisdom of God. So every singer, every person that preaches, every deacon, every trustee, all of that shows the diversity of God in the body. And it displays his wisdom. Let me have just a little bit more time before we stop, can we? Now, notice in verse 21, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. So, look here. Now, my eyes looking at this orange clementine body armor. My brain is telling me I'm sweating, I'm thirsty. Now, my hands are limited because my eye has said to my hands, I don't need you. So let's see my eye pick it up. You get the story. Now, my mouth can pick it up. But I can't drink it. Or I could do this. And this is really deep. Everybody with me? Here we go. I'm going to release these long fingers. My eye sees it. Now, but my eye says, lips, I don't need you. No, 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 you big fat lip thing, you don't, don't you dare pull it. How stupid. Don't you see when God puts us together? He puts us together to accomplish so many things. And how much more could be done if these work together? Oh, I could be all alive. That's what some folks are. The only aspect of the minister they want are the eyes, the prophet. They don't want no pastor, they don't want no teacher, no evangelist, come on somebody. Then you've got other folks in the message. All they want is just their pastor only. They don't want no that. Well, if Brother Donnie ain't going, it's another Dollywood weekend. We're going out of town. You're just as bad as the eye people are. But you know what? If God put teachers in the church, I'd say we need them. If God put evangelists in the church, I say we need them. If God gave me a hand, I need it. God gave me an eye, I need it. Come on, somebody. If God placed you in a body, you are important and nobody can take your place. (laughs) 
the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. The higher cannot dispense of the lower. Now, are there members in our body naturally and in our body spiritually that vary in degree? Of course they are. Notice Paul says in verse 22, nay, much more those members of the body which we seem to be more feeble are necessary. Look at that word, more needful. What one cannot do without. So they seem to be more feeble than others. So they're not, they don't consist of a bony material. So you look at your heart. How many bones are in it? How many is in your brain? Oh, somebody's been called bonehead before, but actually there ain't no bones in your brain. Look how vulnerable your brain is. What if God only surrounded it with fatty tissue down here like your belly is? What did God do with that brain, the control center? He put it inside of a skull. Why? It's so vulnerable. Yet, you can't breathe, you can't blink, you can't think, you can't operate without it, and itself is so vulnerable. God had to put it inside this sheath called a skull. Don't you understand, no matter how great the preacher is, how great a ministry any man's got, he still has an element of vulnerability about him. And God may choose some of you to try to get around that man and try to pray for him and nudge him along. If there's anybody that's going to be discouraged, I'll tell you one thing, it's going to be a preacher, especially a pastor. I left here Sunday and I told Carol, I hope, I hope I'll be able before too long to be able to sit down and quit preaching and quit dealing with people's problems and people's issues and people's complaints. She said, you think that'll ever happen? I said, no, but I can hope. <laughs> so right, some of you skulls, help me. Some of you boneheads. <laughs> so you see, God doesn't put everything in behind the skull. But some things he takes a tissue a muscle, a sinew, and he wraps around it. Oh my. And yet, these are necessary. Look at your main torso. Look at your heart. In order to do open heart surgery, what do they do? They take a saw and cut you right here and open that up. Pull that rib cage apart in order to get to your heart. Because your heart, the pump. But if God would have put your heart down here with no bones, no cage to protect it, anybody come up and hit you right in the belly and boy, your heart would stop. 
And yet it's so important and yet so vulnerable. I hope somebody is hearing me tonight. Now I know there's some of y'all sitting there right now trying to figure out if you're a large intestine or a small intestine or if you're trying to figure out what in the world am I? Don't make yourself sick now. Let's just send this is going to the spiritual side. Remember, if God placed you in the body of Christ, there is no one that can take your place. I'm gonna drive that home tonight and you may get sick of hearing me say it, but there ain't nobody in this church can take your place. You may never climb up on this platform and sing a song. You may never stand up here and testify, but if God placed you among us, my brother, sister, you are needed. And nobody will ever take your place, not only here, but walking down streets of gold. He has got a place for you. He's got a mansion for you, a waiting and you are important to God and if you're important to God you're important to us actually there's parts of our body we can live if they were removed so if something happened to my arm and I had to have it amputated from here down. I wouldn't like it, but I could live without it. Right? You ever had or heard of anybody having their brain amputated? As many of you folks I've talked to that I have wondered that before. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine having your heart amputated? You could have toes removed. You can have legs removed. I saw a picture of the other day of a man who had the world's first head transplant. The whole head. You ever see the picture of the man who got the first face transplant? So there's things you could live without. <laughs> but there's things about us that we cannot survive without. Let me ask you this. Who do we pray the most for? The sick or the well? Huh? That's why some of y'all don't pray for me no more. You think I'm well all the time. You think I'm up on the mountain all the time. You ought to come live with me for four or five days. You'd realize I ain't on the mountain all the time. You'd realize a little bit of the burden that Carol and I pack. You'd pray for us a whole lot more fervent than you do. But you're thinking, oh, Brother Donnie has breakfast with angels. I don't even like breakfast. Oh, he must just soar in heavenly places. I do do that. But you'd not believe the devil's out of hell that I have to fight when I come down either. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all do the same thing, except I just do it in a different degree. That's all. It's the same thing. And yet we think, well, brother, boy, brother Daryl, he must be man alive. These preacher brothers, they must just be up on the mountain all the time if you only knew. So we tend to pray for those that would say, well, poor brother so-and-so, you know, he's got this bad lumbago and they got this, that, and other. A lot of folks, it's not just their lumbago, it's their attitude. And that's they're always down the bottom, you know, always down on the bottom. Never thing, never, nothing, nothing ever good. Everything is always so bad. And we take that person. How are you, brother? Glory to God. 
Hallelujah, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. Say, well, man, I don't need to pray for that guy. He's on the mountain every time I see him. Don't you understand whenever you see an actor? Don't you understand whenever you're running into somebody whose confession is more powerful than the negativity that they're in? And we will take that, but sometimes God ever put it on your heart to pray for somebody that you think is so strong and you think, why in the world am I praying for that person? They are so strong. Well, God knows that strong person needs a whole lot of extra prayer at the time. Notice Paul said those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. To place around, to set about, to put on a garment or to put or bind a thing around another. So those which we consider to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And on our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Huh. So in other words, we put clothes on parts of our body that we consider uncomely and not supposed to be seen in public. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, it's easy to see by the Laodicean age. Apparently, they don't consider much of their body uncomely because they've just about took everything off. But you see, those who think modest, and if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are modest, but you realize that parts of your body are to be covered. Why? Because of the uncommonness. But when you look at it in the right way, you put more abundant honor on those parts by putting clothing on it. So you pay $150 for a suit, your brothers, or $29.95 for slacks. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to update that, shouldn't I? They, they, because of inflation now, $21 slacks have come from China four years ago. Now it's worth $75, and they're, they're less quality. <laughs> uh, and, and because of that, then you put that $75 pair of pants or dress, whatever it is, sister, and you will cover up that part which you consider uncomely, which should not be seen in public, and you put in people say, what a pretty dress. Well, brother, that is a nicest suit. I really like that shirt. That tie looks so nice. Anybody ever tell you what nice skin you've got on your finger? That is some of the prettiest skin I believe I've ever seen in my life. But watch what'll happen in the wintertime and say you find yourself a real pretty black pair of gloves, sisters, and they got them little fancy pearls on the side of it, and, and sisters will see you out there at the door, you come in and say, them's the prettiest gloves. Well, they didn't say nothing about your hands. What is, what's it doing? So whenever we put it on there, what's it for? It's we are hiding because of modesty, something that we know, feel like needs to be covered up. And then when we do that, it actually brings more honor upon the uncomely part. If folks could only get that right about dressing right and dressing godly and dressing holy. Don't you understand? When you do that, look how God looks at it. My daughters are doing exactly what I want them to do and I will give them more glory and more honor. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 
So you see, by doing that, we make it that way. Now remember, of course, this is the first century whenever this is being written. And the pagan world was awful. Absolutely awful. Especially in the sports arenas. Now Rome was famous, of course, and I've stood in some of those arenas around the world, built by the ancient Romans. And when they would wrestle, many times they would take off every stitch of their clothes because it was heathenism to do it in public. Hello? Testing one, two, testing one, two. So you imagine then how that some of these were former Gentiles, these Corinthians, and Paul is telling them about dressing and hair and so on, and they're thinking, what in the world? This was so different than the way they were raised because they were raised, so they would go to a Roman Colosseum and many of those gladiators and so on, I mean, they'd be stark naked. Out there wrestling and carrying on, why? Heathenism. It was part of the entertainment. Hmm. Must be some Romans in Hollywood. Well, praise the Lord. My goodness, friends, you know what I'm talking about. You can't even hardly walk up to a Walmart cash, you know, to be able to pay out in the cash register without nudity being expressed on the magazine. Don't sit there and look at me like you know what I'm talking about. Why, it's everywhere. It's all around us everywhere. Why, billboard? There's only one way you can look up where you don't see it, and that's up this way. Why, because people don't see it. They just don't understand. There's no modesty. There's no difference between right and wrong and being able to see it. You're so blessed if you do. Verse 24, and we'll close. For our comely parts have no need. Huh. So our comely parts have no need. So, what do you think? Should I start coming out like this? I tell Carol all the time, I've told her years ago, I need me a mask. So whenever I go out, I don't get seen by everybody. You don't know what it's like to go through a drive-thru and people say, I've seen you before. My face is ugly, okay, but it's the only one I've got. I'm not handsome like some of you brothers, so I'm just stuck with what I have. So you pray for my wife for that cause, of course. But apparently, there's no immodesty about me showing this thing. And you're wondering, how not? How could you not be? But, because of that, I do not need to cover it. I know the government said that we should wear their mask and they didn't prove it over and over again. It's like a bumblebee flying through a woven wire fence. Come to find out all it done was smothered us all and choked us down real bad. But our comely parts have no need for God has tempered the body together. Having give more abundant honor to that which lacked. Look at the word tempered. To mix together, commingle, unite, call several parts to combine into an organic 
structure, which is the body, to unite one thing to another. Wow. So God calls us the great, the mighty, and those which don't seem very important at all. God co-mingles them together and puts them in one unit called the ministry. God does the same thing in the church. God does many times the same thing in a family. Look at Abraham. Great Abraham. Patriarch of faith. Look at Isaac. Son of a great man. Father of a great man. But Isaac, not so much. Right? So here is a man that we hardly have enough. You ever notice that there's no, no uh, Hollywood don't even make movies about Isaac himself? There's not much to say about him. It'd be about a 15-minute movie. It'd be about as long as it is. But look at Abraham. One after another after another. Jacob, Joseph, look at all them. But you know what? God has Isaac's slid in between Abraham's and Jacob's. But was Isaac necessary? Yet God wrote the mystery of his life about him and the bride with Isaac and Rebekah. Praise be to God. And you may look at yourself and say, well, I'm not a great person. I no, but you might be the mother or the father of a great person or the grandmother of a grandfather, something like that, of a great person, and yet God tied you right in that seed line. Oh, I've never really done much for God, but you might be the very one that would testify to somebody about the message of the hour, and that one man would come to God, and he'd be called to preach and maybe lead 10,000 to Jesus Christ. And when he stands out of that, day, guess who's going to stand by him? You are. Because you packed the word to him and you, God, used you to help open his eyes and God would incorporate your name with those 10,000 that were saved. Somebody that was seemingly unnecessary, overlooked, not really important in the body. If God puts you in the body, you are important. Let me read one more verse. I didn't say I was done. I just told you to stand up. That's all. For our common parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Look at this powerful, powerful word, schism. Division, a rent. <laughs> Metaphorically, it's a division or a dissension. How, how, how does that work exactly? Why would God, why would Paul write that after saying that about the body? Because if you've got people in the body that feel like they're not being used, and they don't, don't amount to much. They become restless. Then an opportunist will try to get among them and offer them a position. Don't necessarily mean it's a God position, but it's just a position. I've seen it for years. People will walk away from the Word of God, from a church that's preaching the Word and preaching rapturing message, and will trade off to get a position. 
in a church that will not get them six inches off the ground. But position to many people is everything. Jesus didn't say man shall live by position. But man shall not live by bread, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now for me, I'd rather go to church if I was in the will of God and I sat there and nobody hardly even knew my name. I wouldn't hardly recognize by the deacon board, the trustee board, or no other board. But that's where God put me and I clapped my hands and I sang and I did everything. Maybe I couldn't even be a special singer because I was off key half the time. But I'd rather be that than to be in the biggest church and the preacher calling my name and me his best, best buddy and best pal to be where God wants me to be. What's it worth, my friends? What's it worth? Don't you love him tonight? Again, Romans 16, 17, Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. A lot of people have never learned these last three words. And avoid them. You mean that were already starting then? That actually started before Paul ever wrote this book of Romans, around 63 A.D. So it had started 30 years prior to that already. And Satan is still doing the same thing today. He'll try to do it in your home. He'll try to do it in your job. He loves division. You notice how it is? Maybe one person in, in the section where you're working. And they just constantly have got something going all the time. You get that settled and they do something else. Some people never live in peace. I've got the answer why. Because they do not have peace within themselves. And you watch troubled people. Troubled people have one thing in common. Whether red, white, black, yellow, pink, purple, polka dotted, or green and white striped. They all have one thing in common. Troubled people cause trouble. They generate it. I'm not talking about a person that gets into trouble and gets out and learns by it. But troubled people constantly generate trouble. And you get one thing fixed and they cause something else. If you get that fixed, they cause something else. It's just like they're a dynamo of trouble. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You ever find a beatitude where he blesses troublemakers? Whether it's in a family or a church or a shop or whatever it is, you never find a beatitude for the troublemakers. Wouldn't you love for that to be your identity? Blessed are the peacemakers. He never did say blessed are the handsome. Blessed are the pretty. Blessed are the wealthy. But blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. To me, you couldn't be called nothing no greater. Oh, don't you love him tonight? Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Father, how we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit. How you've pulled us into the body and made us part of that great union, the mystical Christ. 
Then, Lord, we don't want to just focus on that alone, but we also want to find out our position in the local body, in the local assembly. May every person here tonight and those that have streamed the service, may they be able to accept and realize you have always had degrees. And your prophet tells us there will be degrees in heaven. It won't bother people then because the part that bothers us now will be absent there. So there will be people that will be recognized as more beneficial on the earth. We know whenever the rewards are given out, it will reflect that diversity. Lord, I pray you'd help each of us that we can find our spot in the body and be happy with it, Lord. Oh, Lord God, I, I ask for every man, woman, boy, and girl that we can be used by you, Lord, not for our purpose, for our desire, but for the economy of God. I think, Lord, if we could all just fall more in love with you, a lot of these things would disappear anyway. Because we would just love you so much. Your prophet tells us in the church book, church age book, that you may appoint some to death. You appoint others to suffer and go through so much stuff. But that is your prerogative to do so. There are some that will go through such suffering in this life. Some will pray and believe and expect miracles. But instead, you'll take them out of this life with the sickness or the disease that they dealt with for years. Others, they'll be prayed for. You'll grant them healing. But there's got to be somebody that can be able to express that attribute that you expressed. When you come to the earth, your character was perfected by suffering. Not by miracles, not by signs, not by screaming, running, and we believe in all of that. But your character was perfected by suffering. Help us, Lord God, that we can find that place you want us to be. And may we stay so in the divine solution of God that we don't just get a little dip and we go down a dry cucumber and come up a wet one. But we go down a dry cucumber and come up a pickle forever changed by the power of God. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Father. Praise the Lord. How many would say with me tonight, Lord, I just want to be what you want me to be. It don't matter whether it's big or little or small or significant or insignificant. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus.
We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Can we just raise our hands in his presence? You start that song for me, Harry. That one. Tell me his name again. They tell me of love's sweet old story. They tell of a wonderful name. It thrilled all my soul with its glory. It burned in my heart like a flame. They tell of one that so loved me and you. Oh, that in heaven he could not down to seek and to save me oh tell me his name again can we just sing it together oh tell me his name Oh, sing it with me. I know it's an old song that has such beautiful words. Sing me that sweet refrain. This is who we need to fall in love with tonight, friends. Not so much position, not glory, but Him down from above to die on that of shame the story my heart oh hallelujah it stirred oh it's the sweetest that I've ever heard it course with me now. Tell me his name. Oh, why don't you just sing his name tonight? It's Jesus. It's not Donnie. It's not your name. It's not the name of our church. It's Jesus. It's his name that the sick are healed by. Devils are cast out by. Him who in love came down from above thank you Lord God to become me that I could become him I don't mind telling you tonight 
Remember, before you can ever really read Psalm 23 and get the full impact of it, you need to read Psalms 22 first. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All my bones, they stare at me. How the bulls of Bashan 
gap upon me. That's him on the cross, Psalm 22. In order to be your shepherd of Psalm 23, he had to be your sacrifice of Psalm 22. Midnight in the middle of the day. So it's Friday evening. The sun has gone down. We will now move back beyond 2024. It's 33 AD. We're afraid, we're frightened like most of the disciples were. So we're standing awful ways. The earth is shaking and trembling. Our minds, our bodies are paralyzed with this fear. He's dead. How could this have happened? He's dead. We heard him take his last breath. This can't be real. He's dead. So we stand there in this trauma and we watch that Roman soldier as he takes this spear and ram it in his side and when he does, blood and water gushes forth, but he's already dead. We see them in a few moments lowering the body down and they're taking it to put it in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. We can't believe it, no. He raised people from the dead. He healed the sick. He walked on water. This can't be happening. But thank God it did happen. Because you wouldn't be a baptized pickle today if it hadn't happened. Thank you, Lord. Got time for another song? The sun was hot, the angry mob gathered by the gray stone building. As a man dressed in velvet with a curly black beard stepped out on his balcony, nervously washing his hands to rid him of the blood he would never wash away his wrinkled brow showed the worried lines I heard pilots say I find no fault in this man called Jesus, healer from the shore of Galilee. I command you to ask me to let him go free. Don't make me take his blood to the grave with me. Purposely washing his hands to read him up the blood. I oh God, oh my. And the mob cried for blood of this innocent man. I heard Pilate pray. Oh. 
as a sinless Christ was slain And it was midnight in the middle of the day It's you and you and you and you saying we've got the victory. Hallelujah, glory to God. We are the proof that Calvary was a success. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Well, I think we should go from the tomb to a day a friend and I was walking along the way. Don't you? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You got a few more minutes, don't you? Cut out your running your jaw time out there in the foyer. Let's spend it in your worship of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory to God. I wish I was out by myself somewhere because I'd really like to talk to him in a language tonight that y'all wouldn't understand. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Started Harry, sing it in English. Lord God, I bless you. I worship you, Jesus. Yeah, mercifully 
Oh 
Hallelujah. Oh, God, try to behave. My goodness. Like Brother Terry used to say, we get to go to church. You couldn't keep me out of them doors if you tried. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh. Let's sing this as we go. I want to be more like him every day. If you'll help me sing it as you go service again on Sunday morning. I want to be more like you. Jesus, I want to be more like you. Yes, I do. I want to be a vessel that you work through. I want to be more like you. you 